Well, welcome again. So glad you guys are here. Matt Pardee, one of the pastors here, and excited to continue in our Collide series. This Collide series is all about these uh, great Bible stories, these historical things happen where Jesus is colliding with these people and their lives are forever changed. I'm so excited to share a couple stories from my own life where I've had these awesome collisions with God and He's really answered some major prayers and in, uh, had encounters with me that have really changed me and uh, and just so blessed by that. You know, uh, when you get up here and you preach and you share stories, a lot of times there's a lot of different hats that we wear in our lives. Just like you have a lot of different hats in your life. And uh, obviously one of my hats that I wear that I pray for and pray for this church is as a pastor and praying that, you know, we are doing the mission that God wants us to do. Um, One of the important roles I have, another hat in my life is as a husband and asking God to come in and collide with me to help me be a, a better husband. And God has answered prayers in that way. And another really important role that I have is as a dad. Uh, Here's a picture of my family, if you haven't met them before. And uh, again, this is a really important role in my life. And lately, I would say this is the one where I'm the most desperate in prayer. Uh, If you're a parent, if you're a dad, you know um, one of the times that you're on your knees the most crying out to God, saying, God, I need your direction. I don't know what to do here. And your just heart is out there. You want your kids to have uh, the life that God has for them, to be protected, to know Jesus, um, to train them well and do all these things. And often as a dad, as a parent, your heart is just welling up and you're crying out to God, needing him to answer your prayers. And God has done that many times in my life, very faithfully. And I share that today. I love all my kids, and they're awesome, and I have great stories about all of them. But today, I'm going to share a story about Bella, my middle child. If you saw my daughter there, she is 12 years old, actually. And our story today in Luke chapter 8 is about a synagogue leader and his desperation with his 12-year-old daughter. So this is a story about Jairus. And his daughter is sick. She's 12 years old. This story that we're actually going to read through in Luke 8 is also in two other Gospels. This story is recorded and is a great example of how we need to be desperate for God. How we need to call out to God for things that are beyond ourselves where we're just really needy of Him. And we're crying out to Him and to see God come through, to see Jesus come through and answer these, um, these prayers of this man, this synagogue leader, crying out to Jesus to help his sick daughter. So before we jump into Luke 8, here's the big idea that I want you to take away for today. We hope that you remember this and this is something that you would carry on into your week is that this, colliding with Jesus involves big prayers of desperation and victory. That is part of walking with God for for you and I. This is our prayer, that you and I would be having these collisions with Jesus throughout our life, and we would be giving him those, those small prayers and these small daily things that happen in our life. He wants to know about those, and those are fantastic, and he wants to answer our prayers in those ways. But he also wants us to be praying big things, things where our heart is really out there in desperation, on our knees, crying out to God that when he comes through, there's no doubt in our minds, in the people around us, in our hearts, these faith-building events that we say, Wow, only by the grace of God 
did this happen. And we praise him and we glorify him because there is a victory in walking with Jesus. There's a victory in depending on him and having him come through. These supernatural things are real and God wants you and I to be participants in that. So let's jump into the scripture and see what's happening here with this ruler. Luke 8, we're going to start in verse 40. On the other side of the lake, the crowds welcomed Jesus because they had been waiting for him. Then a man named Jairus, a leader of the local synagogue, came and fell at Jesus' feet, pleading with him to come home with him. His only daughter, who was about 12 years old, was dying. As Jesus went with him, he was surrounded by the crowds. So what's going on here is in Luke 8, where we pick up in this story, Jesus has been doing a lot of amazing miracles coming up, even in chapter 8 and even before that. Jesus is doing these amazing things to show the people he is God incarnate. He has this power far beyond any other reason. And the crowds are just gathering. Jesus is like this rock star because of these amazing miracles that he's doing. And he's speaking these words that people have never heard. And they see this love in him. And obviously the crowds are just gathering around. He gets on the other side of this lake and there's this giant crowd and here Jairus, this synagogue leader, this religious leader, okay, probably an important man in his community, he finds Jesus, he seeks after Jesus, and what does he do? He falls on his knees. He's in desperate times. He pleads with Jesus, Jesus, you have got to help me. I know you can do this. I see what you've done. I've heard what you've done. And I need you to come to my house. A bold request. I need you to come because my daughter is dying. I just pause right there as we, we get into this story. We see this man falling on his knees. And I ask you the question, is this something in your life? Is this something that you've ever done? Have you had times in your life where you'd literally be on your knees as this physical posture to reflect a spot in your heart where you're like, Jesus, I'm desperate for you right now. I need you. Have you ever been desperate like that? Do you have things right now in your life that you're praying for? Are there things that you're expecting God to do? Because this is a really important part of our relationship with God, is believing God, taking some risks, asking for the supernatural to show up in our lives, which we believe to be so true, and that's where this real intimacy comes. When we're praying specific things and we're, we're, we're pleading with God, we're crying out to Him. And that might be something completely different for every one of us. Wherever you are in your life right now, whatever big thing is happening, God knows and He sees it and He cares and He loves you. And He's asking all of us, come to me with these requests. Get in a posture in your heart that you need me and ask me. The Bible tells us over and over to be asking God for things, to be praying specifically for things in our own lives and other people's lives and the mission for transformation, for change, for amazing things to happen. So what are you praying for? And if you're sitting there thinking, wow, I, I'm not praying for anything right now. I'm not expectant of anything right now. Then we pray that this story would affect you and you'd go home and say, gosh, I don't, I'm not needing God. I'm acting like I don't need God at all in my life. 
And we would be convicted by that and we would begin to pray. We need to pray with desperation. That's one of the first, that is the first fill in in your handout. Praying with desperation. And what does this mean? It just means praying with passion, praying with emotion, praying with a perseverance that's not just a couple quick prayers, but something that we're, we're praying for for a long period of time. Maybe God's going to say no. Maybe he's going to say yes. Maybe he's going to say wait. But he calls us to pray in desperation. It reminds me of the story of the little boy that wanted the bike. He wanted a little red bike. This kid just had his heart set on it. And he goes to his mom one day and says, Mom, I really want a red bike really bad. And, and, the, and the mom says, well, why don't you just pray about that and, uh, and, and see what happens. So he goes to his bed that night, kneels down before his bed and folds his hands and said, God, if, I just really want a red bike. I, I want it tomorrow. I want to wake up. I want to go down the steps. I want to open the door and I want to find this little red bike. And he prays his little heart out. He wakes up in the morning. He goes down. He opens the door. There's nothing there. He gets disappointed. He's discouraged. He's driving in the car with his mom and he hears this really outspoken preacher on the radio and he's just listening intently and he's inspired and this guy's just so energetic and charismatic and exciting. He's like, oh, okay, I get it. So that night he goes and kneels down before his bed and he says, Lord Jesus, in the name of Jesus, I claim that bike tomorrow. Give me that bike. I thank you in advance that you're going to give me that bike and I just know I'm going to walk down there at 8 a.m. and that red bike is going to be there. Thank you in advance, Jesus, that I'm going to have that bike. He wakes up the next morning. He goes down, no bike. He's so bummed. Later that day, he's watching TV and he sees this traditional guy on TV with his black shirt and his white collar. He's doing his little message and he's watching this whole service on TV. He turns the TV off. He goes and he finds this little Mary statue that's on his mom's cabinet. He grabs the Mary statue and he starts running outside. His mom's watching out the window very curiously. What is going on? He goes into the woods with this Mary statue under his arm. He's in the woods a couple minutes. He comes back out with no Mary statue. His mom's really wondering what's happening. She listens into his prayer that night. He kneels down before his bed and folds his little hands and he says, Jesus, you ever want to see your mother again, you're going to give me that bike. <laughs> That's a desperate prayer. Threatening Jesus. That's the kind of heart that we need to have when we come before God. Perseverance and desperation and passion. And that is what, exactly what we see with this religious leader. He needs Jesus to act in a bold way. Let's continue on in Luke chapter 8, verse 49. Now let me catch you up. We just skipped over a little scripture here, speaking of desperation. And while Jesus is walking with this religious leader, this other woman sneaks in through the crowd and touches Jesus' cloak, and she is healed. So this other woman of desperation is clinging on to Jesus. Jairus is clinging on to Jesus. There's these amazing, miraculous things happening in desperation. And so he interacts with this woman and answers her prayer, which is an amazing story. And we're going to just skip ahead here. And that's why it says, while he was still speaking to her. That was the, the woman that he just healed. A messenger arrived from the home of Jairus, the leader of the synagogue. He told him, your daughter is dead. 
There's no use troubling the teacher now. But when Jesus heard what had happened, he said to Jairus, Don't be afraid. Just have faith, and she will be healed. Wow, what a disappointing moment for this religious leader. He's trying to hurry along. He's trying to hurry because he knows the time is short. His daughter's really sick. Jesus stops to heal this other person. He's probably hastily thinking, boy, I wish we could keep moving here to get to my daughter. And they come and they say these words. It's over. She's dead. They say the words, there's no use in troubling Jesus anymore. Wow. It makes me think of the times in my own life when I feel like, wow, this thing I prayed for is over. It's ended. And that voice can go off in every one of our minds that says, there's no use. Stop praying. Give up. It's over. And that doubt can just flood in to every one of us. It can take this major toll on our faith. And we could come even to church and we could try to sing these songs and we hear these messages and we read the word and we might just say in all honesty, is this stuff really real? Because I'm disappointed. I didn't think it was going to go this way. And we start to struggle with doubt. We struggle with the doubt of is God really listening? Is God here? And we can struggle through thinking, should we keep praying? And I just love the Bible stories that remind us over and over again that it's God's will and it's in God's timing. And he doesn't want us to just turn our attention to the circumstances, but he wants us to turn our attention to his power and his victory and all the wins that he's racked up and all the, the signs and wonders and amazing things that he's done in our life that build our faith and remind us of his goodness and we don't want to be like the Israelites of the Old Testament because that cycle that went on in the Old Testament over and over again was they would cry out to God in desperation. He would come through for them and then quickly they would lose faith. Something difficult would happen, some trial, some struggle, and they would doubt and they would be upset and they would complain and God would say to them, wow, your faith is so weak. And we can be in that same situation where we, we struggle with our doubt and we wonder if we should keep having faith. And really what a lot of it comes down to for, for me personally is, is this sentence, this next fill-in. The struggle with faith is that you are depending on something beyond you. The struggle with faith is that you're depending on something beyond you because many of us want control. We want to live our life and we want to put in A plus B and we want to get out C. We want to control our money. We want to control ourselves. We want to control all the people around us, our work environments, all of our circumstances. We seek this life of comfort and we don't want to depend on God. We don't want to depend on people around us. And that temptation to do the opposite of faith, which is surrender and depend on God to do things for us, is we want to take everything under our own control. And it's a miserable life. It's a faithless life. It's a life solely dependent on ourselves. 
because we don't want to be vulnerable. We don't want to put our heart out there and trust in something beyond ourselves. You know, one of the times that this was really tested, back to my, my daughter Bella, um, lots of stories about my family and, and things, but um, one of the really difficult things was, you know, we adopted her, and it was like one of the greatest things in our lives to adopt our two oldest kids and, and have our, our younger child, Max, um, in, in just a, a surprising, blessed way, which was a huge answer to prayer. And after this adoption with Bella, uh, my wife's pregnant with Max, so the surprise adoption, and all of a sudden, Bella just starts getting really sick. And she's not getting better, and days and days are going, and she, she seems like she's got this cold, and she's got this flu. And we take her into the hospital, and they say that she has this RSV. It's a pretty serious sickness for just a little baby. I mean, she was months old. And we had to put her into the, to the hospital. And it was just a super scary time. And I remember one of the days just being there praying, asking God that she would be healed and that she would be better. And she just had so many tubes and needles in her laying in this tiny little bed. And at one point, I could just see her little body just got so overwhelmed that she just started bawling, just screaming. And I couldn't console her, and Mary Lynn couldn't console her, and I just was backed up and just started crying. And I was like just losing it, like, wow, this is so overwhelming. If you've ever had a, a, a child that's sick or you've had some situation that's so out of your control and you just want to go in and rescue them, you want to make them better, and those are the moments of life where you are completely powerless and you can't even comfort them. And this nurse came in and, and coddled her up and just and did some things. And she said, you know, sometimes with all these needles and tubes, they just get overwhelmed. And this is something that happens. And she just, like, calmed the situation. And I was like, wow, this is completely overwhelming. And by God's grace, she got better. And she got healthier and healthier. And we brought her home. And uh, I have a picture of her when she was really little. There she is. <laughs> cute. This is just months after she was in the hospital. And uh, I don't actually know when this picture was taken. This, you know, if you're new to Bowling Green, this, this could be October. Um, it could be April. I don't know. You may look at it and think, oh, that's January and February. Not necessarily. But here she is, her little, little snow bunny in her suit, walking around and dancing around. And she was restored back to health. And you know, the words that come to mind when you're powerless and you're desperate for God are the, are the same words that Jesus says to Jairus when he gets this, big, this bad news and, and they said there's no hope. Jesus says this, don't be afraid. Just have faith. Man, if you're bringing up some trial in your life or some difficult thing right now and you need Jesus to say that to you, those are those are precious words, but those are really hard words to absorb into your heart. Don't be afraid. Just have faith. We serve a loving, powerful God that regardless of the outcome of our prayers, He's got a plan. He's got some good thing in mind, and He cares about us, and He's there. And these are the words that Jairus needed to hear. 
We move on in the story, jumping down to verse 51. When they arrived at the house, Jesus wouldn't let anyone go in with him except Peter, John, James, and the little girl's father and mother. The house was filled with people weeping and wailing. But he said, stop the weeping. She isn't dead. She's only asleep. But the crowds laughed at him because they all knew she had died. Then Jesus took her by the hand and said in a loud voice, My child, get up. And at that moment, her life returned, and she immediately stood up. Wow. Jesus gets to this house, and often as he does with Peter, John, and James, sometimes they're in this inner circle into these really special things like the transfiguration and some other amazing things. And for whatever reason, he says, I need everybody else out of the house. And just Peter, James, John, uh, Jesus, and these, these parents go in. And he says this thing to them, my child, arise. My child, arise. And she gets up and she lives. It says the parents were amazed. The people that were laughing one moment were now in awe of what Jesus had done. Surely this is the Messiah. Surely this is the God of the universe in our presence. That he even has power over life and death. Isn't it amazing that right before this thing happens, this amazing thing, the greatest thing in this synagogue leader's life that's ever happened, people were laughing. People were mocking this situation. And you know, I really believe that's true, that if there's something that's going on in your life right now that you're desperate for God and you start praying for it, and I believe there's a spiritual battle going on over these things in our lives, there could be times right before that breakthrough or right before that answer comes that you're being mocked. You're being laughed at. There's something that happens that really causes you to doubt, to say, you really believe in this? That's a joke. You need to give up on this. You're going to embarrass yourself if you keep going down this road of faith in God, believing that he's going to do this great thing in your life. And just like there was laughter and mocking going on, that can happen to us today when we stand out in faith. When we step out, maybe that mocking's in our own ears. Maybe it comes from the people around us or the world around us. But we need to continue to trust. Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6 says this, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct your paths. The Bible is constantly telling us to trust in him. Don't just lean on our own logic. Don't just lean on your own understanding of how things might go or how the world says they should go, but acknowledge him in all your ways, and he will direct you. You know, I really loved living in the life of the science world before I went into ministry. And I've always enjoyed science. I've always enjoyed math. And you know, even today, as you go and kind of read some of the really cool things happening in science and math, really there's two perspectives going on. And one of those perspectives is from people that believe in an intelligent design to this creation. And scientists that say, wow, as we study what's happening, as we study the science and, and we do this research, 
it points to some designer and it reinforces their faith in God. And there's those, the, in the same studies, in the same fields, there's people that are atheistic. And they look at the science and they kind of see what they want to see. And in some ways, for a lot of them, there's an agenda to disprove that God exists through their science. And there's this battle going on. And I really enjoyed being a part of that. I, I got a chemistry degree from Bowling Green State University. I used to teach chemistry and physics. I love this whole realm of things. And I always found that my faith was reassured by what we see in creation. And that there's things happening in this world that surely point to something above it. That it's not just about this physical world. And you know, I loved reading some things about Isaac Newton. You know, he lived during the 1600s, 1700s. And he would always say things like his belief in God and his belief that God made an orderly universe is what spurred him on to discover things. And, you know, this is a, a crazy guy that wore a wig. You know, he's back in the day where men wore wigs. And this guy was just so smart. And he said amazing things. And he figured out uh, physics. And he figured out math and calculus and things about gravity and about our solar system that were way beyond his time. And, and you could ask, well, gosh, why? Why was he even trying to understand this stuff? And a lot of it came from his faith in God. He says this. We account the scriptures of God to be the most sublime philosophy. I find more sure marks of authenticity in the Bible than in any profane history whatsoever. This guy's love for God, his curiosity in God's creation, led him to beliefs way beyond his time. He figured out some really cool, interesting things about, you know, even orbits and how they work and how things fall with gravity and figuring out the math. And he, he said, you know, I think if we could go fast enough and match the gravity that people could just kind of go around the earth effortlessly. You know, 1600s, 1700s. That's pretty crazy. He figured that out. Even on Apollo 8, when they're out there doing their missions with NASA, they were communicating with some of the astronauts. And at one point on Apollo 8, they said, who's driving right now? And they said they were in orbit of the earth. And they said, right now, Sir Isaac Newton's driving. That's amazing. And all of it came from a belief that there was something beyond this physical world making everything work. And that aligns so much with the scriptures. When I look at Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20, now to Him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, to Him be the glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. We serve a powerful God that is able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond all that we ask or think. And that impacts me greatly. I hope that impacts you greatly. That when, you know, in every realm of life, when, when marriage is harder than you think, and you say, God, I need you to do something exceedingly above what I can do right now. And God says, yeah, I'm able. And he helps you. 
and as a parent with my kids, God, I'm losing faith here, and I need you to do something exceedingly abundantly above what I can do. And God says, yes, I'm able. And he starts to help you. You say, God, we want to do this college church, and we want to grow it. And people are telling us it's not sustainable, and it can't work. And we say, God, help us. And he just shows up in great ways. And we say, we want to start an H2O network. We want to plant college churches everywhere. And God says, I'm going to come through for you. You say, God, I can't change this thing about me. Lord, I need your help. I am not walking in a way that you want me to. And I don't know if I could ever change these different struggles in my life. I need you to do something exceedingly abundantly. And God says, I'm able. Don't give up. Keep seeking me and that transformation and change will come through the power of the Holy Spirit so as we pray here today we're going to pray for collisions with God that's the last fill in pray for a collision with God that something happens in your life that you're seeking him desperately and he's going to come through for you and you're going to know it's God because we, when we pray for a collision with God, we see his power can go far beyond everything in this physical world. It isn't just about this physical world. There's a supernatural thing happening. So believe God for something big beyond yourself and trust him to come through. Let's pray for that.